Welcome to the Echo Church Podcast. Echo is a group of people in Cincinnati, Ohio, who love Jesus, love hanging out, and are navigating the ups and downs of our faith together. We're glad you're here. That works out really well because the beginning of the sermon, I was going to just see how long it took everybody to get quiet. So apparently right away, there is something though about silence. Like when everything's chaotic and loud and there's, there's a lot going on, isn't silence like a pretty powerful sound? So I was thinking this week about the way music would use silence in a song, maybe a dramatic pause here or there. And I was trying to think about like some popular songs where that might be occurring. And maybe you can think of some now. And you know, if you ask any question on the internet, you find a Reddit thread about it. So let me show you some options. So we're talking about the kind of way where you'd have energizing sounds like, like Love Shack, where you know everybody's the music builds and builds, and maybe you've danced at it at a wedding, and suddenly the music drops and the voice yells, tin roof, rusted. So that's what I'm talking about. So like where something is dramatic and they use a lack of sound as an attention-getting situation. Now here are the other things I found on the Reddit list. Some of them I knew, some of them I did, I had to look up. There's Radioactive by Imagine Dragons. There's like a pause and a gasping sound in that one. Foxy Lady by Jimi Hendrix. King Kunta by Kendrick Lamar. And I just kept thinking of also about the world was wide enough in Hamilton, because if you've ever seen it, there's a bullet flying. And in that moment, Hamilton's lines are all spoken into the silence. All the music drops. Now, the second category of dramatic pauses is when everything stops, like music and words. And some of the pauses that people recommended were Hard to Explain by The Strokes, Faith by George Michael, and All I Do is Win by DJ Khaled. And your hands go up, and they stay there, and they stay there, and they stay there. Up, down, up, down. Thank you, people in the back. We got some interaction. I thought I'd get one. Okay, so DJ Pangburn discussed the value of negative space in music in an article he wrote for Isotope. And he said this, the unfilled spaces where the absence of music is either momentary or extended can enhance songs in any genre. The ear is drawn to silent intervals, whether it lies between the same instrument, multiple ones, whether it's short or long. And he linked to um, a song I'd never heard, A Moment in Time, in 1952, the most dramatic use of negative space that I've heard of, there's a composer named John Cage, and he invited an audience to the Maverick Concert Hall in just outside of Woodstock, New York. I put a picture there because they were describing the setting was like very church-like, and it's an old wooden structure, and they were talking about when you'd sit down and the benches would creak and just how it was this intimate musical experience. And so John was like a boundary-pushing kind of composer. And the first composition of the night, pianist David Tudor got up to the piano, and he not only used the piano in that song, he used a transistor radio and a duck call. So this was just different kind of compositions. 
elite people had come out, fellow composers, members of the New York City Philharmonic, and they all wanted to see what John Cage would do next. When it was time for his second piece, David, the pianist, got up again, he sat down at the piano bench, and then he pulled the lid closed. He then pulled out a stopwatch and hit start. And then he sat there for 30 seconds. He hit stop, and then he started again. And he allowed two minutes and 23 seconds to pass. And it was silence. And at this point, people didn't know what to do. They shuffled around a little bit. And by the third movement, it was one minute, 40 seconds. And so the total of the piece written here was four minutes, 33 seconds. And that's the name of this composition. And it seems as if there might have been some discomfort in the room, not knowing what to do. But was it really silent? John Cage noted this. He said they missed the point. There's no such thing as silence. What they thought was silence, because they didn't know how to listen, was full of accidental sounds. You could hear the wind stirring outside during the first movement. During the second, raindrops began pattering on the roof. And during the third, the people themselves made all kinds of interesting sounds as they talked or walked out. So John explained that he had been in this sound room. I had read about this too. It's at Harvard, and there's this way where they pull out all the different sound, and it's just really isolating. And he could hear in this silent room, he could hear a really low pitch and a really high pitch, and that's all that he could hear. And they said that was the sound of his nervous system and his blood circulation when every other sound was taken out should read about this sometime. But he said that opened his eyes and he realized there was more ambient sounds and accidental sounds in the world that were more beautiful than he could ever compose. Today's scripture, it's about some silence. And so it reminded me of John Cage's use of silence this week. We're in our series for the Christmas season. We called it Hark because we found there's a lot of songs in scripture that surround Jesus's birth story. So just like Christmas songs that you hear every year and you might get them stuck in your head, maybe that just feels like the Christmas story, right? Comes around every year, same tune, but we're going to try to look at things a little differently. And last week we saw in Isaiah 9, there was a hymn prophesying about Jesus a baby who would be wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. In the coming weeks, we're going to hear a solo from Mary. We're going to hear a choir of angels singing to shepherds. But this week, this week's different. In all of our series, we have no song. It's about Joseph. He gets nothing. In fact, his message comes in the silence of sleep. But in that silence, he contemplates his role, his responsibility. And I want us to consider the same today. So we're going to be in the book of Matthew, chapter 1, and I'll read for us from verse 18. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, 
but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. So let's look a little background about Joseph. He was from the northern Galilean town of Nazareth, and not much is known about the town except that it was just like tiny, not very important. And John 46, Nathaniel first said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Really didn't have this like stellar reputation. Today, it's a predominantly Palestinian town. There isn't a ton about Joseph in the Bible either. So like if you look up different things about him, everybody's got a different opinion. But here are a couple of myths that we want to dispel. Sometimes we visualize the nativity scene and we might think, We have heard that Mary was probably a young teenager. Some people were like, well, then Joseph, he could have been in his 30s or 40s. And while that can't be proved either way, it did really fit where the men were often young men, 18 to 20 years old when they wed. So we can visualize Joseph a little closer to Mary's age. His occupation, because in Matthew 13, 55, people ask of Jesus, isn't this the carpenter's son? And so we call Joseph a carpenter because that's what it says there. But the Greek word, tekton, meant craftsman. So really, that could have been wood, stone, metal. And historically, looking at Nazareth, there wasn't a lot of usable wood in the day. There was a lot of stone, and nearby Sephoris had a lot of building projects made of stone. So we can imagine Joseph and Jesus were perhaps stonemasons, that kind of craftsperson. Now, let's talk about engagement in ancient times. Most marriages were arranged by families, and a formal ceremony would happen at the engagement. At that point, the couple, the the male would tend to go and prepare the home, which ended up being like a room added onto his parents' house. We can all imagine whether you'd like that or not. Known as an insula. And then after he had everything prepared, the groom would arrive and show up and take the bride away. And it says it was unannounced. Like, that's one of the parables that Jesus ends up talking about is like the the groom comes unannounced. And he's just like, okay, I'm ready. I'm done. It's time to go get married. So during this separation, after they've already had a public acknowledgement that they're going to get married, that's the time that Joseph learned Mary's pregnant. He knows for sure it's not his. And so now he's got to figure out what to do. Breaking off an engagement was as serious as getting a divorce. And so Jewish law stated, in order to break an engagement, you'd have to get a bill of divorce known as a get. The Mishnah, which is a written collection of rabbinical tradition, explained this. Should a bridegroom have to complain of non-virginity on the part of the bride, he presents himself early the next morning to the Beit Din. That's Hebrew for house of judgment. So if Joseph had sent Mary in front of the bait din, she would have been judged. No one would have believed her. And then she would be publicly shamed. She would be ousted from the community or just considered, you know, separate, other, have a reputation, right? So the fact that Joseph wanted to do this quietly, that was counter to his culture. Like some people wanted to make a big deal. Whatever his feelings were, We see that this was an honorable act to be like, I'm not going to take revenge publicly. I'm just going to, I don't want to add more to her life right now. So that says something about who Joseph is, his character. So let's keep reading in verse 20. 
But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because it is what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Son of David here is a title that is used in the book of Matthew about Jesus himself, so why would the angel say that here? Perhaps, I mean, Joseph was in the line of David, a great king, a revered king in the culture of the Jewish people. He was one everybody looked to. And so he was also someone who was supposed to have ancestry on the throne. Perhaps this angel was just giving Joseph like extra courage to call him something like very like bold and powerful and kingly. Like, okay, son of David, you know, you've got this. Feel good about it. I'm getting ready to say to you. Just kind of giving him a little bit of confidence. And then the bottom line in this dream is, hey, your fiance didn't cheat on you. Good news. All right. So Joseph's got some good news. Verse 22, all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and will give birth to a son. They will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's taken from Isaiah 7. And we talked last week, the book of Isaiah chapter 9. And as we might have noted then, that things and prophecy can be fulfilled a couple times. This was spoken to Ahaz, who was king of Judah at the time. Isaiah told him this. But Matthew is saying here, look, Jesus fulfilled it in another way. Like it can be filled a couple of times. Now some people are like, well, if you look at the original Hebrew, the word translated virgin here is Alma, which just means a young girl. So the fact that people were pushing to, to like say virgin and a virgin birth. But I think, look here, Matthew's use of this scripture, I think he's focused on the end, the Emmanuel part. So let's look at the two names, Jesus and Emmanuel, which is what the angel said and then what Matthew connects in scripture. Names are very significant. Jesus was a common name in those days. Would have been on the top of the baby list. Joshua, he, if you remember, have ever heard of the Battle of Jericho? He's leading the Israelites. So it's, it's a historical name for the Jewish people. But Yehoshua in Hebrew was a contraction of two words. Yahweh, and as you can see, they, we don't know what the vowels were here. Yahweh saves. If you ever somebody says Jesus saves, it's kind of redundant. Yahweh saves is his name. So now you see that Jesus, when his name is spoken, there's a message given. And then Matthew says he's also going to be Emmanuel. Now this was title, you can see it spelled with an E or an I. But the Hebrew word is a contraction of El, Elohim, God, and Emmanuel, meaning with us. So Matthew is zooming in. First he's like, Jesus means God saves. And so that's this huge, that's this huge universal concept. But what I think Matthew's trying to draw in to the people who are reading his words. Matthew's writing to his own people. He's also saying God was here, had a great plan, and God is also here. He's personal. He's with us. That Jesus is God, and Jesus is human, and then he lived among us. So I think this moment that Matthew was trying 
to write down and communicate to say that Jesus took the great and brought it down personally to us. Let's keep reading the final verses say, When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home to be his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So last week, we kept focusing on the words waiting, watching, and wondering, and saying that's what God's people had been doing. Waiting, watching, and wondering when God would send a promised Savior. This week, the words that keep coming up to my mind as I read Joseph's story was thinking that he must just have kept asking, can I trust this? Like, is this real? Did I, he woke up from the dream, you know, like when you wake up from a dream and you're just like trying to remember it and so, sometimes you feel the feelings and you don't know all the details or sometimes it was very vivid, but you almost kind of like go over it in your head or you try to figure out why you dreamed a dream. Like, imagine Joseph and like what he was going through in his mind. Could he trust Mary? Could he trust that this was actually a real message from God? Like he's, he's got he's to take a step of trust here. But it says that he went that very day to Mary's house brought her home to be his wife. He obeyed. He didn't worry about what everybody said. He knew that Mary was virtuous. She was noble. He's trying to protect her honor, and he's just ready to take the next step. Now, just because he acted doesn't mean, doesn't mean he had it all set in his mind. Like, there's times we do stuff, and we don't know what the next step is. or We're not even sure if it's the right step, but sometimes you just take a step of faith, and then you're like, I hope that was right, because we're all serving an invisible God, and we just, we just take steps, and I don't think Joseph was somehow, I don't know that the angel's message gave him full sense of like, okay, I know what I'm doing now, it's great, nothing's ever going to bother me again, like he's a human guy, and he just takes a step, but I think in his mind, he's still like, can I trust this step? Can I really do it? As I noted at the beginning, Joseph doesn't get this glorious song like he's asleep. And he wakes up, and he's still alone in his house, and it's silent. And he stands there and thinks about all of this stuff on his own. And so Silent Night, composed by Franz Gruber, lyrics by Joseph Moore, that's the song that keeps coming to mind. And it's funny, I've never thought about it with Joseph before because Joseph's never mentioned in the song. Like, we're focused on Mary holding a baby. But then when I was watching all the verses we sang today, it's like, what if this is Joseph's perspective? He's looking. He's standing in the silent night. He's watching it happen and trying to still figure out where he fits in this picture. So today... I want us to think of other silent nights that Joseph may have had beyond the manger. We don't know. We just have a blank slate. We, we just have to try to imagine. There's so many years that we don't read about. The silent nights where Joseph is rocking Jesus to sleep. And maybe he's just thinking through, like, what is life going to be like? What is life going to be like serving the Lord in this very strange way? to be the adoptive dad of the Son of God. 
Did he still ask, can I trust this? The silent nights after coming home from work and he's tired and his arms are aching from whatever craft he does do for a living and he knows he's going to walk past that one house who's always going to whisper about him because they know his firstborn son. They've done the math. And so he has to deal with that neighbor every week. And maybe he asks, can I trust this? The silent nights before bed. And he's, he's watching Jesus grow, and now he's getting older, and now he's got to be a dad in a new way, and he doesn't feel up to the task. Maybe all he can think about before bed is all the ways he messed up that day. And maybe he looks at his own abilities, his own skills, and says, can I trust this? Maybe he has some good nights. The silent nights when he thinks back on the coolest day when Jesus held a tool for the first time and he taught him how to use it. And then the kid starts talking and he's like thinking way beyond deep thoughts than Joseph ever had at this age. And then maybe in that moment, he just looks up and says, thanks. Thanks that you picked me. Silent night. Holy night. All is calm. All is bright. We've got silent nights in our lives. And sometimes they're calm and sometimes they're not. Or sometimes they're calm and still to anyone else who walks in the room. But everything going on in our minds is out of control. Nighttime. I don't know about you, but that's when all the worries, all the fears and doubts and the wonderings hit my brain. And I can't sleep. And I sometimes think about all the things I wonder if I can trust. And part of it is trusting my own ability to do the thing. Because when you're responsible for other people, that's a lot to bear. Joseph was taking on a responsibility. And he said yes once, but then he had to keep going over and over again. Because every day he was still responsible for Jesus. And he had to say yes that next day and the next day. And sometimes if we have responsibility, whether we're taking care of a child, maybe we're parenting our own, taking care of our own parents in a new role. Maybe we're coming alongside a friend or a family member to support them. You know, we're just, maybe you have to be a leader and you have to make a decision and you're in a role at your job or in your community and people are looking to you for answers. It's just a lot. So sometimes we might rehash or rehearse or maybe regret our decision on silent nights. Can I trust this? Well, I know it's human. I know it's going to happen. But every time something goes wrong, do you go back and you're like, should I have said yes? Was that really me? Was, this, was I the one for this role? Because as soon as something gets challenging, it's hard not to question. But that's when it's good to have someone in your life. So I hope that if Joseph woke up in the middle of a silent night and started to worry again, that he could turn to Mary and she could be like, yeah, remember? We got this. It's real. This is our job now. We can do this together.
We can trust this. And I hope that when she had her moments that Joseph could do the same. So when I look and I think, let's have people in our lives, people who believe in us, who see us, and also believe like, yes, you can do this, and also you don't do it alone. You can do it with the help of others. You can do it with God's spirit giving you strength and wisdom inside of you. But having people in your life, do you have people you can text and be like, today, I feel awful. I don't know why I signed up for this. And they just remind you of who you are and that you're doing okay. It's good to have those people in your life. I had my own experience of this recently, and I say this not to put me in the spotlight, but to put one of our church members in the spotlight. So Mikey Evans, he works for Back-to-Back Ministries, and he shared his ministry with us on stage a few weeks ago. And he asked Steve and I if we'd like to be on a podcast that they put out called Be the Difference. And first of all, it's like, okay, he invited us on, like, he does not too embarrassed by us at his work. He had belief in us. And then asked, he came up with some questions to just get us to share our story. And it was just really, even the questions he created, it made me feel, like, noticed. And then when I heard the podcast, uh, the two hosts, Chris Cox, who is another ministry friend of Echo, and he's known Steve and I since college, and then Sammy, a person I met that very day. Like, they, they created an introduction after we were done with the interview and put it all together. And some of the things they said, I, I didn't realize I needed to hear it. Because I said yes here on January 2020. A lot has happened since then. I didn't know what I was saying yes to. I didn't mean to break anything like the world. But you just never know. And, and day one is great. Day two is fine. And then five months later, I go back and I'm like, Did, was I supposed to say yes to this? Can I trust my own decision? Can I trust that this is what you wanted me to do? Can I trust you that I'm speaking about every week? Some days it's pretty silent. And it's nice to have people to call on to remind you of the things. So I want us to come up with just two simple challenges. Is to make sure that you have a friend, find a friend, and then be a friend. Find a friend you can trust who will just say, yes, you're doing well. Who will speak aloud the things that they see in you. Who believe in you and believe Jesus in you. Then go be that friend. But part of being that friend is not being silent, is speaking out loud. Why do you like the people in your life? What do you see in them? Just go tell them. Today might be the day they need to hear it. Tell them specifically what they've done, or that you've just watched them live their lives and that's made a difference to you. If someone's ever said that to you, you know how good that feels. It just gives you enough energy to make it through the next challenge. So speak up. Let's not be the silent ones, but let's give our love and our confidence and our belief to someone else. Go say, yes, you can trust this in your life. You have said yes to a challenge, and I believe in you. We don't hear from Joseph after this story. There was Jesus at age 12, and then we got nothing. 
So historians think that he passed away before Jesus ever started his ministry. So everything, everything that Joseph was trusting in, Mary got to see Jesus minister, to heal, and to sacrifice. She saw the fulfillment of that trust, but Joseph didn't. Kind of bittersweet there, right? Joseph didn't. He did all of that trusting and he never saw the, the results. And so I just want to encourage us that sometimes you don't see the impact you're having. And you sit in silence and you think you're on your own, but no, the things that you do, other people are noticing. And it makes a difference. Even if you can't see the results. That's what I hope we trust in. And when you're sitting, and maybe it's four minutes and 33 seconds, or even longer, just take in the beauty. Breathe in and breathe out. And I pray that when you take that next step of trust, that God will strengthen you in your next movement of song. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you for the loud, the boisterous, the noisy, the chaotic in our lives. We thank you for stillness and silence and a chance to know that you are present in either situation. We thank you for getting to read Joseph's story. And Lord, we thank you for calling us to do hard things. And sometimes we wonder why we were tasked with heavy, heavy things to carry. Show us what we can learn from it. Show us who we can rely on. We're not alone. Show us who we can call. Give us the strength to know that you're doing something with our acts of faith even when we can't see it. We thank you, Lord, for being present, for being God with us, even here and now. Amen. Thank you for the gift of your attention today. If you ever want to join Echo Church in person, we meet on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. You'll find us at 1301 East McMillan Street. That's in the Walnut Hills neighborhood of Cincinnati, Ohio, just up the street from our city's beautiful Eden Park. Find out more about us on our website, echochurch.org. Have a great week.